We are looking at Mark tonight, Mark 13, and we're in a series on Mark, and I think if you've been around for the last few weeks, you'll agree it's been a really excellent and challenging and provocative and helpful teaching series. And what we've been doing is looking at the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and trying to work out how does that apply to me? How does that shape my life? How can I look and act and behave and be more and more like Jesus? That's the desire, right? For those of us who want to be followers of Jesus, the hope, the prayer is that we imitate him, that we understand that his life is one worth following and being like and trying to do an active, I guess, progression of following him and looking like him. As I was thinking about this, I was just reminded that the word disciple comes from the same root of a word, which is for pupa. So if you understand like a caterpillar, it goes through this stage, but it's the pupa stage, the formation stage, before it becomes a beautiful butterfly. I never thought I'd say that in church, talking about butterflies. But anyway, if you want to like, set up like a butterfly kind of club from this church, I'm all good for that. But the reason I say that is because there's an understanding when this term disciple was formed that trying to look and act and be more like Jesus was a formation. And however old or young we are, we have to kind of keep going through this pupa phase, this phase where we're trying to follow Jesus, trying to imitate him, trying to learn from his teaching, trying to model our lives on him. So what does it look for us to act and follow him? And we're in Mark 13 tonight, and I have to say, it's quite a depressing and bleak and challenging passage. I'm sure, to be honest, that's why Carl's gone on sabbatical, just to avoid preaching on it. But he's like, you know, Andy, here's a bus, there you go, push me under it. But this is a difficult passage. It's, he didn't really push me under a bus, okay, just to clarify. But it is a tricky passage, it's hard to read, it's messy, it's painful, it talks about suffering, it talks around hardship, it talks around personal sacrifice, it talks around the fact that our nation will be in a mess. It's not easy reading. Particularly if you're new to Christianity or wouldn't even call yourself a Christianity, this is not the passage I would have picked for you tonight, but it's what we're looking at. That's where we are in this series. And I think as we approach this passage, there's really three options, right? The first one is that we say to ourselves, it's just nonsense, it's just not true, and, and that's legitimate, right? It's not what I would believe, but it's, it's legitimate if you're not a follower of Jesus to say this is just nonsense. It's just kind of ridiculous poetry. It's not true. And if that's the case, then you've really got nothing to worry about because it's not going to happen, is it? But that is one stance we take. We say, look, this just isn't true. This isn't accurate. It's just nonsense, and I'm not going to believe it. That is one option. And if that's you tonight, then I can encourage you for the next 25 minutes or so, I don't know, to count how many light bulbs are in this room or something, or, I don't know, how many seconds there are till Christmas Day, okay? You can try and work out how many seconds there are till Christmas Day, because this just isn't going to apply to you. But that is a stance to say this isn't true. Another option for those of us who are seeking Jesus, perhaps not Jesus, Jesus, or are new followers, or are trying to work out if they want to commit to him, the option for you is to say, actually, even though I'm not quite sure about this, I get that the world is in a mess. I get that there's political challenge. I get that this week the mass shootings were horrendous and not acceptable. I look at my own life and it's challenging, it's tough, this isn't okay. I get there's struggle. This, this makes sense. This is commentary and language of what I'm seeing and understanding. When we look around us, we look at our family, our friends, we look at the world at large, when we look at the political systems, we think, yeah, this makes sense. The world is not in a great place. It talks about the destruction and challenges and the rise and fall of power. 
But a third option, and the one I'd encourage you to hold, of course I can't force you to, but for those of us who follow Jesus, who want to follow Jesus, is one where we recognize this isn't just language and description of what we're seeing firsthand today. It ultimately gives us hope. And the reason it gives us hope is because despite the challenge and difficulty and pain and suffering we see, this passage makes it very clear that Jesus has won the battle that the crucial battle has been fought and won, that he's victorious, that he offers life, death, re- his life, death and resurrection, changes everything, and one day he'll return, and he's on the throne. And the challenge for us, I think, is this. For those of us who follow Jesus, the challenge is this. We've been lulled into a false sense of security, thinking we're civilians during peacetime, not soldiers during wartime. We're civilians during peacetime, not soldiers during wartime. We've been lulled into a false sense of security because when we read this passage, we realize that Jesus has won the ultimate battle, but we're still in a war. I'm told that during D-Day, when the Normandy landings happened, the kind of key battle in World War II and the E-Day, there was more deaths and casualties in that period than at any other time during the war. I tell you that because the crucial battle was fought and won, but the war still went on. You see, Jesus has won the crucial battle by dying on the cross, by offering eternal life, by conquering death. He's won the crucial battle, but the war still goes on until he returns. And it's fitting in some ways on this Remembrance Sunday we recognize we're in a war. And I want to say say that I don't want to trivialize this. I don't want to make out that some of the stuff we describe is anything compared to what other people have seen firsthand who perhaps know soldiers who have died in battle or have experienced grief and pain because of war firsthand. But I think it's appropriate as Christians this evening, as those who are perhaps aspiring to be Jesus followers, we recognize there's a war on and our desire is to be soldiers in the battle. So why don't I pray for us as we open today's passage and just pray that God will give us some wisdom and direction. Lord, we we recognize tonight's passage is a tricky one. We recognize that it's it's doom and gloom in times. It's hard to read. It's not easy listening. But we ask that you will give us wisdom to handle it well, to hear from you individually and as a community. I pray that the words I speak and share will be helpful and appropriate and life-giving to this group of people tonight. Amen. So in Mark 13, it will be on the screen behind me, but if you've got a Bible, you can follow. We're going to read a decent chunk of scripture, but it's from Mark 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. 
On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. That's just fantastic, isn't it? Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will take... This will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give in light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. So to understand this passage, we would need to realize that Jesus is talking in an intimate relationship with his best friends. This isn't teaching to the crowds. He's with four of his best friends. And I think you can almost sense the atmosphere. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and they know that means that it's very likely to be his death. He's on his journey to the cross. And then we started to work out, what what does this look like for him? Is he really going to die? Does he really need to die a horrific death? They're trying to work out, is, is he really worth following? He said all this stuff, he seems like a good guy. I've, I've seen some of the prophecies become true, but do I really want to follow him? What's going to happen? They realize that this is difficult. How will we cope when our best friend goes? Our leader, our savior is going to leave us. How will we cope? How will we manage without him? Lots of questions, lots of struggles. And they also realize But when Jesus describes this stuff, when he describes the pain and the suffering that's forthcoming, they recognize this isn't just theory or conceptual because the Roman government was notoriously brutal and cutthroat and dangerous. So when Jesus talks about this stuff, they're thinking, man, is it really worth it? Is it really worth the price to follow him? It's a big challenge and risk associated. And understand that the cost was really real for these guys. Out of the 12 disciples, Judas hung himself. Jesus, we're not, sorry, not Jesus. John, we're not quite sure about. But the other 10 disciples got martyred for this faith. And the key verse in this passage is verse 8. It says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. So they're trying to work out what does this mean? What does this kind of chat that Jesus has given us about these end times really mean for us the key passage is here where he talks about birthing pains now Jesus does that thing that no bloke should do and that is talk around birthing right keep, keep the women to talk about that one I've got no idea what happens okay? 
sillily, he, sillily, stupidly, he talks around pregnancy, okay? But in a semi-public world, he would actually be much more kind of aware of what was going on because communities lived in such close proximity. He would have been aware that the pains and the difficulties associated with childbirth. And what he's saying very simply and quite obviously is that these things have to happen. These pains and challenges have to happen in order that I can one day come back and end all suffering and all tears and all pain once and for all. But we have to go through this birthing pain before I come as a final hope. So there they are in close proximity recognizing that they've just gone through what's called Pax Romana. Okay, so they're in a period of time where historians said that it's almost miraculous that currently there was very minimal kind of brutality and opposition from the Romans. They would have been very aware from their ancestors around the pain and suffering. But at this time, when Jesus talks around these birthing pains, that would have been a shock because currently it was a time of prolonged peace. So Jesus is saying that's going to end. The pain and suffering is going to be real. And the disciples start talking to Jesus, saying, look at that temple, look at it, isn't it magnificent? They're pointing out this temple, the, the absolute epitome of human success, the absolute greatest artistic and human achievement around. People knew around Herod's temple, the most beautiful in the known world. And there's a challenge to the disciples and a challenge to us about how do we, amidst this, when we, we look to this stuff, that we hold on to human achievement or human and material things, and put, don't put all our attention to Jesus. So Jesus is saying, during this period of uproar, of upheaval, you're putting too much attention and focus and dependence on human things. And this building was massive, right? It was absolutely huge. It had 40-foot-long stones. It was the absolute kind of epicenter of Jerusalem. It was incredible. People were astounded from afar by this incredible, just man-made building. And it was said as you approached it, from afar, the building was, not the building, the, the bridge was covered in mirrors. And the mirrors would reflect the sunlight. And it was just dazzling. It was just awe-inspiring awe to see this bridge reflect on you. This was an incredible building. And Jesus says to them, the building will collapse. Now understand, it's not really about the building. It's about God's spiritual home, Jerusalem, falling apart. God's saying that's going to come to an end. These morals, these values, what this stuff stands for is going to collapse and fall apart. And maybe you're a Christian, you're thinking, what, what, what's happening? You know, we used to be a Christian nation, but not anymore, it seems. We used to have Christian education, but now it seems that like everything's falling apart. The morals, the values that we've stood for for so long are falling apart and collapsing. The building did indeed collapse. And because some some of the Jews actually were so kind of scared by this prophecy, actually fled the area, so they saw a mass exodus of the Jews. But understand, for those who were following and the disciples, the temptation to turn back and say, with all this coming up, I'm going to run, would have been huge, right? Jesus talks around all this stuff, and it's not just the building collapse, it's all its associated kind of worldview and power associated with Jesus. Everything he stands for is saying it's going to collapse and come into uproar. And the temptation to turn away would have been huge. And at times, the temptation for us to turn away is huge, right? When we're weighing up the cost, when we're weighing up what Jesus is calling us to, the cost is huge. 
And it's easy at times to think, ah, forget it. Forget it. I'm just going to play it safe. It's too difficult following Jesus. I'm going to wear a helmet everywhere. I'm not going to go out past five because of bad people. I'm just going to hang out with Christians. I'm going to wear sun cream all year round. I'm going to just be extra vigilant because I'm worried about the world we're living in. Or I'm going to find a different hobby. You know, this Christianity malarkey is pretty difficult. I'll take up cross-stitch or chess. I said that earlier and my wife said, some people might like cross-stitch. If you do, congratulations, brilliant. I'm really pleased with you. Um, we can talk about it after. But the temptation with this stuff, of course I jest, but the temptation is when, it's, when we realize the cost, when we count the cost, we realize that it's hard, that it's uphill, that it's a challenge, that there's opposition. The disciples were there and the birthing pains that Jesus described, they're like, man, is this really worth it? When this temple collapses and all it stands for, do I really want to follow this guy, Jesus? It's going to be wars and problems and political uproar. Jesus describes quite vividly what happens. And in this passage, it's quite difficult at times to know whether he's talking around the immediate aftermath of when he dies or whether he's going to talk about the end times before he comes back. And sometimes he's talking about one or the other, and a lot of the time he's talking around both. But what we see in this passage is that he talks around hurricanes and natural disasters. He talks around wars in the end times. And what I don't need to remind you today on Remembrance Sunday that there's wars and people are dying unnecessarily. Political collapse. If you're anything like me, you sometimes struggle to believe that the government is going to get through what they're going through at the moment. Disintegration of moral values, everything is okay. It talks about the, the fact that what Jesus stood for and the moral values are falling apart in this passage. Chaos and catastrophe, civil decay, power struggles, family disintegration. If there was ever a time to agree with that, this passage says that brothers will fight against brothers, fathers against children. We see very clearly in the world we're in that families aren't functioning as well as they could or should. It doesn't take a huge amount of convincing for us to realize that this stuff is evident somewhat in the world we live in. It doesn't take a huge amount of stretch of imagination to believe that some of this could be what we're experiencing today. So Jesus says with all this stuff, he says to his disciples, this stuff happens, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, it's going to be uphill, there's going to be opposition. But he also gives some reassurance and some comfort. I think before we talk about that, I just wanted to say for a moment or two, but I think we repeatedly talk around the grace of God, the love of God, and the fact that if we follow him, there's hope, and we have eternal life, and we get to follow him for life more. And all that, of course, is good and true. He loves you unconditionally. He gives you the ultimate hope to follow him. He has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of our lives. But being someone who's done youth work for years, I'm aware at times we've ducked out of teaching on the fact that there's also challenge and opposition. Following Jesus at times will have confrontation and battles. We will be soldiers enlisted in war. It's also worth saying as we weigh this up that if you decide not to follow Jesus, it's not like the world beyond Jesus is all swimming and all perfect. There will be challenges beyond, but as followers of Jesus, he never promises it will be easy. There will be challenges. And what does he say for us to do? In verse 7, he says, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. 
One of the things I pray each day is that I won't fear anyone or anything. I'm not saying I always do that, but I want to be someone who doesn't fear anyone or anything other than God. Do not fear. When we hear about the mass shootings this week in America, tragic, horrible, unnecessary, what we do is we recognize that we pray for them. We mourn alongside them. We feel their pain and suffering. We're not called to fear. We're called to bring it to God. Do not fear. Do not be alarmed. We cannot be distracted by the collapse of our world. We cannot be distracted by the pain we see so firsthand in our world. One of the things I was reflecting on this is that the law of non-resistance says that when there's challenges, when there's opposition and difficulty, the more kind of mental space and head space and attention we give the thing that we're trying to resist, the more we actually give it authority and power. And I think the same is true when we see difficulties and pain around us. If we give it too much headspace and too much power, we actually give it too much authority. We need to mourn with people, we need to stand alongside them, we need to grieve with one another, we need to pray with them, but we don't be alarmed, we do not fear. The second thing this passage says is keep preaching. Keep preaching. Verse 10 says, keep preaching the gospel. As a recognition that the gospel still works. Jesus, his good news, and the message of his relationship he can offer each and every one of us still works i'm absolutely delighted we're doing alpha in the new year because the gospel the message of jesus still changes lives we will face persecution we will face battle mate dare i say for some of us as christians we may notice that the persecution increases in the next few years i don't know but it could do There's a battle on. But as Tertullian says, the blood of the martyrs is a seed of the gospel. The gospel always thrives in persecution. Where there's challenge, where there's opposition, God always thrives. I want to share a personal story. And I'm kind of reluctant to do this because when I talk about some challenges I've been going through, they're absolutely nothing compared to what Christian brothers and sisters go through throughout the world. When we think of the disciples that they got crucified upside down some of them this is going to sound pretty trivial right but I I wanted to ground this and say that actually the spiritual battle is real the opposition the attack is real and evident in our lives for those of us who follow Jesus I moved house about six months ago and my wife and I Adele and I found it was really appropriate and right to move to this place and wanted to invest in that community and stand along some side, side people who perhaps got some challenges and to fight for injustice and hopefully be like Jesus in that particular community. And since we've moved, it's, it's been an amazing time. It really has. But we have noticed some opposition. We've had the oven break, the car's broken down several times, the washing machine's broken, the TV wasn't working, the internet wasn't working. Those two are pretty bad, right? When the TV and internet goes down, that's like kind of game over, you know. <laughs> what do you do about TV and internet? I don't know. But we, we kind of rode through that storm. But then... Either boiler's broken a few times, the shower's broken. It's been pretty difficult, right? And the one that's probably got us hardest is the fact that our house has been, like, swarmed with mice. I shared that with this morning, and Adele was like, how did you share that for? Why did you share that? She's got quite a high-pitched voice. No, she doesn't. But she was like, you know, why does everyone know in the church know that we've got loads of mice in our house? Okay, we haven't. If you want to come and visit, it's fine. There's no mice. It's all good. But if, if you want to sell me a cat, that's another option. Um, but... We have and this guy Stephen, who we've paid to come and sort out of mice. He's meant to come like two or three times. He's been twelve times, okay. And you know we have mice kind of going over top of the bed, and 
my, my wife kind of screams in the middle of the night, so she hates the mice. I hate kind of jumping in the light because she's screaming, right? So it's not been a good situation. There's lots been going on. And this guy, Stephen, you know, he's like my best friend now. He's on speed dial, and, you know, we're like kind of, hey, Stephen, how's the mice, man? You know, it's, it's, yeah, good, good. And what, just, just to keep it clear, actually, sort of, I've deliberately got mice in my house just to kind of make a friend. No, no, that's not true. But... But he comes around, and he's been around 12 times. It's, it's meant to be coming around this week, 13th time, and that's meant to close it, okay? But on Thursday gone, I was chatting to him, and for about half an hour, I realized that we hadn't spoken about mice. He knew I worked for a church, and we'd just been talking about Jesus and the fact that Jesus could change his life. We'd talked about it for half an hour. And I suddenly realized in this very trivial and glib example that I would definitely take this situation with mice kind of just really frustrating us if it gives us opportunity to share Jesus, than I would for these mice to have been got rid of after three, three times. The challenge is that during the persecution, during the opposition, during the difficulties we face, there'll always be chance for us to spread the good news to tell others about Jesus. Let's not give in from preaching the gospel. When the temple collapsed, historians will say what actually happened was the Christians got dispersed and sent away. And what was meant to be tragic was actually a real blessed thing because it sent these missionaries to different parts of the known world. So what was meant to be persecution actually spread the gospel further. Keep preaching. And the final one I want to say is be on your guard. Verse 9 and 23 says be on your guard. Don't be ignorant. As I was preparing for this evening, I recognized that I think there's two unhelpful extremes as we think about the challenges we face as Christians, and the first is that we ignore it, we completely ignore it and say, this just doesn't happen, this isn't real, that there isn't opposition, there isn't challenge. And the other extreme, which I think is equally unhelpful, is that we glorify it, glorify it. I stub my toe and I, oh, it's spiritual attack. No, let's not get excited about it, let's not give it away. But we have to walk this middle ground and say, look, I'm aware of it, I will not ignore it, I will not get excited about it, glorify it. I will not give it the time of day, but I'm aware of it. We, need to, we can be so oblivious to st- this stuff, but it's real, and it creates urgency. It creates urgency for us to go and share Jesus and tell others about him. As we come into a close, I was just wondering what kind of illustrations we could just use and how we keep going and keep fighting and keep going within this battle. And I was thinking about an elastic band which is a really brilliant visual when you're in the gallery up there, right? But you guys have seen elastic bands, I'm hoping. But maybe not, okay. Um, An elastic band is pretty much redundant unless it's stretched. It's pretty much redundant unless it's stretched. It's useful when it's stretched. And there will be, for those of us who follow Jesus, stretch. There will be pain. There will be challenge. There will be opposition. But we're most useful when we're stretched. We keep fighting. We keep going on. And at times, I say this reluctantly, the elastic band breaks. There will be pain beyond our control. There will even be deaths, potentially. There will be some uphill stuff. But we keep fighting. We keep going. We keep sharing Jesus. We keep being soldiers during wartime. One of my heroes is a guy called Michael Jordan. Any Michael Jordan fans up there? Awesome. Cool. Free. Wicked. Yeah. Talking to you, free. Okay, so... One of the things that really struck with me about him was he's <laughs> quite subjectively the best basketball, basketball player and sports person of all time. I realize that's quite contentious, but it's fact. So, 
one of the things he did was when he was kind of at the height of his career, I saw him in an interview after a key game that he lost. And it was a final game and a really significant game. And they said to him, they said, how do you cope? How do you pull yourself together after this loss? How do you kind of carry on that you've had to defeat? And he said, it's simple. You put it down as a bad day and look forward to the next game. You get prepared and ready for the next game. As Christians, we dust ourselves down. We, we get back on the horse and say, yes, there's been challenge. Yes, there's been opposition. Yes, at times it's uphill, but I'm going to keep fighting in this war that I'm called into. I want to close by saying that if you've been trying to work out how many seconds there are till Christmas Day, there's three, I reckon, about 3,628,800, okay? Just in case you're trying to work it out. I want to close by saying that this battle will one day be concluded when Jesus returns. And there's a lot of debate in this passage about how will we know when. And I think as I was just kind of reflecting on this, it's a bit like Strictly Come Dancing, right? Hands up if you've seen Strictly Come Dancing. Oh, no, not that I've seen it. Of course you've seen it. Hands up if you watch it. Not many of you. That's really good. I'm, I'm wrong crowd. I don't watch it. Good. Just to clarify, I don't watch it. My wife does. I don't. Um, you guys have got lives on Saturday night. Cool. So in Strictly Come Dancing, right, what happens or X Factor or anything like that, you spend all your time Googling who these celebrities are. They're meant to be kind of famous people. And you're like, who is this person? What this passage makes absolutely clear is that when Jesus returns, there won't be any question about is it him we all know that he's back, he's conquered the grave, he's victorious, he's reigning forevermore. We don't have to Google him, it'll be very obvious he's in charge. And verse 26 in this passage says this, at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. If you take nothing else from this evening, know that Jesus has conquered death. He's offering us eternal life and there will be pain and sorrow but one day he will return and end it once and for all he's on the throne he's victorious he's in charge he can lift you out of the most dark and difficult situation he can also stand alongside you and grieve alongside you if you're feeling pain and discomfort right now he can walk with you hold your hand no matter what you're going through but he's on the throne he's in charge He conquered death and will offer us eternal life. And one day we'll be victorious over all of this and we'll put an end to it. I'm going to pray as the band come up. But one of the reasons it's important now that we worship is because no matter how we're feeling, no matter how the life around us is looking, no matter how our personal situations or the world at large appears to be, how bleak things can possibly appear, We publicly declare, we declare even through the pain and the tears that Jesus is on the throne, that he's in charge. That's why we worship because it's not about our circumstances, about the fact he's consistent, he's the victorious one, he's in charge of our life and in charge of his church and in charge of his nation. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to lead into a time of worship. Holy Spirit, as we often do, we pray that we will take from tonight what's helpful and what's from you and ignore what's, what's unhelpful or just not from your mouth, Lord. I pray for those of us who are feeling pain and suffering and life seems so overwhelming and it's just too difficult at the moment. I pray that they would know right now a deep sense of peace and encounter with you. 
I pray that you would physically put your arm around them now, Lord. I pray for those of us who are weighing up, do we want to follow this guy, Jesus, that we would recognize that the, the blessings and the just incredible gift of knowing you far outweighs the cost. I pray that we'd be aware of the cost, but we would just be so overwhelmed by how much you love us and how you offer us eternal life and how you stand with us in a messy and broken world. But we declare tonight that you are on the throne, that you are in charge of our lives and of this church and of this nation. Holy Spirit, come be very real and present now as we worship. And I pray that through the tears and the struggle, the pain, the anxiety, the fear, we will praise you and remind one another and ourselves that you are alive, that you are real, that you are in charge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.